Adelaide and Anna. Hello, welcome back to Adelaide and Anna. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we start, wanted to start off this episode by reflecting on our thoughts about the podcast since this is our last episode for a while. Yeah, because uh, we have been giving advice and I don't know if I have been giving that much advice in the past. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have noticed that I'm sometimes want to give advice after starting giving advice yeah yeah maybe not that healthy but uh, i have noticed that the thing that's nice about this is people are asking for advice because a lot of times it can be annoying when someone gives you unsolicited advice like this is how you should live your life um but it's nice to have questions sometimes we don't agree on things and still it's really can be really nice to hear what i guess both of us have to say and mm-hmm. for myself, I know if people give me advice, whether I sort of agree with the advice or not, it can still be useful for me to get to my own conclusion. Yeah, um, I've, I've noticed that too. Like sometimes when someone gives you advice, then your reaction is no. You know, that's exactly not what I want to do. And then just having something to push against hmm. can be helpful. Yeah. And it has been really interesting, this fact that we're having people ask questions to, that I'm thinking, why are you asking me? For advice about this like what what can I say or what qualifications do yeah I exactly but then they're like but then I'm like well they did ask and and like I said maybe it's just to hear someone else think out loud about um, a situation or a dilemma you're in yeah one thing I will say is that um, my partner listened to the podcast and he said I was a bit harsh uh, to the person who wanted to make friends Oh. So I apologize if I came across as harsh. Hmm. Also, I was just thinking, oh, fuck, this is my chance to apologize as well. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of what I regret yet. <laughs> Might come later. Um, you were also kind of um, giving the person a challenge. That's what I was thinking, sort of pushing them. I guess that was I. Yeah, um, I hope that's how yeah. I came across. Well... We're, we're, it's just the two of us who said this, so if you're unhappy with your, our advice, ask <laughs> someone else. <laughs> okay. All right, this time we have four questions. Thanks for submitting. Um, the first one is pretty long. Okay, I will, I'm here with my phone, so I'll read it out loud. I feel like I have this pattern where if I am in a group setting, whether it be group work, cohabitation situations, or when we do something among friends, that I keep ending up with excess responsibility because others don't do their part and somehow I always end up doing it. I can confront them about it and it's okay, but I still feel like shit when it happens again. For example, roommates don't do their dishes, or not properly at least, then I'll do it because I don't like the mess. Or in a group work setting, I end up giving explicit communications, instructions, for example, on the layout of a PowerPoint that we all use the same font, size, and colors. And when they don't do that, I do it. How can I get out of this hellhole? Well, I think it can be difficult to work with other people. It is difficult to work with other people. Especially if you have a different idea, because every person is coming to the collaboration or the living situation with a different idea of what's good or what is important. And then you seem to have uh, high expectations and to take on a lot of personal responsibility or um, mm. or maybe you feel that these situations reflect 
personally on you? Uh, the immediate thought when reading this was, actually the first thought was it, is this my roommate writing? <laughs> that was the first, because I'm, I'm not very good at home life. Number two was lower your standards. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, as long as you don't, uh, it depends like how you get into a group project. If you get in a group project, then you can at first define what kind of goals and what kind of intentions you have, and you can sort of have them match. Then you can actually just uh, delegate work and make sure that the work is distributed f uh, fairly. But generally, you can't uh, expect that much from others. Yeah. You have to have some sort of minimal, and that has to correlate with the others. Yeah, and if you are fixing everyone's uh, problems along the way, then they never have a chance to see what that failure looks like. Like one thing um, I keep thinking about is my mom told me that she wishes that early on in her marriage to my father that she had not fixed so many of his mistakes, like financial mistakes. She was always the one who was concerned about the budget and moving money around if he was like overspending on clothing or you know just doing things that were really irresponsible for someone that has four children. Mm -hmm. um, and she said she had wished she had let him make more mistakes and not like try to fix them. Because if someone gets used to you fixing everything, you know, like say for instance you're working in a group and you want a certain, you want everything to be cohesive with the typeface and everything, um, and then it's not, it'll be obvious I think to everyone that it, for the next time, that it needs to be better if you don't fix it. But if you're always stepping in and editing and fixing, um, it can become invisible, I think, mm. that there's a problem. If you think of the different qualities or the different things that every person brings, if you, if you sort of make everything the same, it still doesn't necessarily reflect the different personalities. So I think there is, I think you sort of have more space in a way as well when you, if there are discrepancies or differences in a group work, because you don't have to be, like, it's, it's not completely your work. Mm -hmm. So at some point you also have to let go of it because no one will care the same amount. And of course, if you do care more than everyone else, well, then you just have to continue to be grumpy and stay in this shithole if you think quality is better, then it's more important than, than you sort of getting rid, rid of this um, problem because it's never going to, it's yeah. always going to be like this. Yeah. And just keep in mind that all, you know, you when a project is successful, you don't take all of the credit because you're sharing with others, but also the things that are uh, that would stand out to you as negative, you don't, also don't have to take all of the blame for it. So it might feel like it reflects poorly on you, but it just reflects poorly on the whole group if something isn't hmm. up to standard. Yeah. So like allow yourself to feel less responsibility, <laughs> yeah. I guess. And of course, um, you could also try in in group situations or housing, you can try to be more picky with who you live with, of course. Yeah. If, uh, yeah, if that's really important to you. But at the same time, I think it can be useful to let the other people be dirty. You can have your own room super clean, but sort of try to let go of some of that other people's failings or what you see of as like not good enough. Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, yeah, it's a shame to waste your energy on, on that. Yeah. So I hope you'll get out of this hellhole soon. <laughs>
our next question is short, and uh, it is, how do you buy a house? Hmm. How do you buy a house? Um, well, that's going to depend on where you live. Yeah, and uh, first I would like to answer with another question. Why do you want a house? That was exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah, there are different ways of buying a house. One is, um, A, you need money to buy a house uh, wherever you want to live. Uh, the more remote, the cheaper, usually. Mm -hmm. Also, in most, maybe in many places. And usually, you have to have a mortgage, and that means you have to have a relatively high or at least very stable income. Mm -hmm. And you usually have to have money to get mortgage. What's it called? The first um, down payment. Yeah. Um, so, this depends on various countries. Yeah. And one thing I would say to keep in mind, because a lot of people I don't think of um, think of buying a house this way, but it is debt. You may feel like you own your house, but you don't actually own your house until you pay it off. And then in some countries, you never really own your house because you are, uh, you know, you have like a hundred year lease on the land or something like that, mm. where your descendants won't own the house necessarily. Mm. Um. So uh, I might have to say that I'm a um, house owner for the second time in my life now. <laughs> um, so I can tell you how. I bought a house, first house I bought with my ex-husband uh, maybe 12 years ago. Um, it was before any financial crisis, so we were students. And at that time, the bank would give us a loan because they counted sort of our student loan, the state student loan, as an income. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And there was some sort of, what's it called? Like, my parents wouldn't pay anything, but they would, like, say that they have a... Oh, they were, like, guarantors? Yeah. And in Norway, there's also the sort of a culture of buying. Mm -hmm. So people will be in mortgage for the rest of their lives, often. But for it's the rest still, of their lives? More or less. Wow. But usually it would be cheaper than paying rent. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, it was sort of the system at the time. Um, so, but then I started studying art. And in the beginning, and then there was this financial crisis, we even rented out, like in the, this was like a hundred old wooden house, cute. But because the financial crisis got more and more expensive and I couldn't, I would have to work all these extra jobs apart from studying and it was just, so to think that that happened then is really uh, absurd. Like where in the world can you sort of buy a house? On your student loan. On your student loan. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was like another, what's it called, era? Um, and now I bought a 32 square uh, ap uh, apartment with my boyfriend, um, sort of thanks to them, well yeah, partly thanks to my parents who, who uh, gave me their inheritance, what's it called, before, uh, basically what, what you would get. If they their, died? Yeah. When they died? Yeah. Which then made it possible for us to... Because even though you have like an income, you just always have to have this money to start out with. I don't know what's called in English. In Norway, you have to give some money first. Yeah, down payment. Yeah, down payment. Because first I thought I had money from the divorce. Because after selling this house <laughs> 10 years ago, or when I, I divorced, I got money. So that was sort of, then I had my um, future. All of a sudden I had savings. Yeah, so I've been blessed in my 
my my divorce. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I wanted to get an apartment to put my boyfriend in when I came here, because I he didn't want to get married. So I decided I I want him to know that I'm like this. I'm this is really really serious. So I asked to get this um, inheritance, which is like. A fourth of the price of the apartment mm -hmm. in my hometown, and then we pay monthly. Uh, uh, Your mortgage. Yeah, but the mortgage is by the uh, apartment building, so we don't have any private uh, loans ourselves. How does that work? If, so it works. So you only pay uh, rent for like thirty years, but part of the rent goes to the the houses. Um, Mortgage. Oh, okay. Cooperative. Some yeah, kind of cooperative. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels less mm -hmm. risky somehow, and it, we pay the same amount per month as if if we would rent. Mm -hmm. So this and this is partly because the uh, the rent market is very limited mm -hmm. in the city, and that it was possible. Um, I have to say. Part of the reason why it was possible is because I have a grant that's uh, given like a salary. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to take advantage of the fact that I have a grant that to the bank looks like normal income. And that's quite rare in artist life. So I called around and I actually asked the bank, so when in my life do you think I can get a, get a mortgage for a, an apartment? Uh, how much more do we need to save up or how should I do it? And then they were like, well, you can actually do it now because we can see that even you, even though you have a small economy, you, you have a stable economy. So they were helpful in setting up some sort of arrangement so that I could work mm -hmm. and with this uh, inheritance. But yeah. And my point of view is I don't, I have never owned a house. And I've also never wanted to own a house. I'm sure someday, I'm not actually sure, but someday I'll probably own a condo or something. Mm. Um, but I have watched my siblings, uh, two of my siblings have houses. And um, I lived for a while with my sister in her house, her, I think it was her first, it was her second house. She had a condo and then she moved across the country and her and her husband bought a house. And, um, I know, I know the thing that's appealing about a house is paying less than rent usually. You know, people's mortgages tend to be mm. less than the rent in their city, at least from what I've seen with friends. Um, but one of the things that stood out was how much work it took. You know, like when I have a problem, I just call the landlord mm. and usually things get fixed, maybe not at the, in the most timely fashion. But when I lived with my sister, in I, we lived uh, with her for nine months, and in that time, she had a wasp infestation. She had squirrels on the roof. Uh, she had, um, before she bought the house, she had had the previous owner um, fill in the basement, because it used to be like a, a dirt basement. Oh, okay. And that meant that when it rained, uh, it flooded. So we oh. were bailing water out of the basement one night at two, I think it was like two in the morning. Oh, wow. Um, she had people stealing plants from her yard. There's just all kinds of problems. And mm. I think seeing that at the age of, I think it was 25, made me hesitate, you know, with any kind of, not that I've ever had a stable or predictable enough income to really consider having a house. But um, 
but that's something to keep in mind. You know, you, like the first question that Anna asked was, why do you want a house? And if because you think you're at a certain age and that's just what you should do, I don't mm -hmm. think that's necessarily the best thing. And also, if you don't want to live somewhere for a while, like if you aren't sure you want to be somewhere for a while, mm -hmm. it might not be worth your time no. to go through all of this. But on the other hand, uh, if you do have a relatively stable income, if you do have an inheritance, <laughs> or something <laughs> like, or I don't know, the lottery, um, and you're also like fixing things, taking responsibility of things, um, deal with water leakages, deal with, um, I don't know, uh, plants, repaint, oh, changing the roof. Yeah. There are like, um, gardening, mm -hmm. um, what else do they do? Everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, Everything, yeah. It could well, be appealing because, uh, you know, you get to customize the place where you live. You get to do yeah. things you wouldn't be able to do in a rent rented yeah. place. Yeah. When I was trying to leave my husband, I was thinking, like, I'm never, ever, ever buying a house again. Why? Just because of the hassle of dividing? The hassle and the dividing and all the work that came with it. I just wanted to... I have other things in life that are important to me. Mm -hmm. um, so do you feel with this more communal living that you're doing, like with shared resources and spaces, that it's less stressful? Um, or just yeah. a different set of problems? It's a different set of problems. But I think I'll, yeah, I guess I'll find out. When you go back. When I go back. Because <laughs> you haven't really lived there yet, have you? No. Yeah. So, yeah. But really, yeah, why do you need a house? I, I think... Yeah, if you can manage to like live cheaply and save up rent. Now, I mean, save up, of course, that would be good if you're interested in actually owning something someday. Yeah. And maybe a cooperative is good for, because um, then you would have less financial risk. But that would be like a apartment building or something like that. Yeah. And I guess the best advice would be to ask people in your city who own houses what yeah. process they went through. Yeah. People that you think are good with their finances. Yeah. <laughs> Should I go for the next one? Um, how do you deal with climate anxiety? It is my big existential question nowadays, especially now that I have two kids. It's a great question. It's uh, also sort of a, um, crossing our no children boundary. But we'll go for it because it's the last podcast for a while. Yeah, and I guess the fact that this person has children is more just saying they are more invested in the future. Yeah. Personally. Than I am, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a climate anxiety? Um, yeah, I the think the thing that makes me most anx anxious is that by the time things get really bad, I'll probably be kind of old. And I imagine it'll be harder to be an older person, uh, you know, having to flee natural disasters or war or famine, you know, like, I don't think um, I will fare as well as I would now. I have a bit of anxiety, but um, I try not to uh, go so deep into it. And But at the same time, when I was reading this question, I was like, there is no advice. It's fucked. Yeah. And uh, you can't uh, mindful away this shit. But I was thinking that uh, 
it's uh, time to to start lobbying or organizing because the personal recycling and the less plastic uh, um, in your kitchen doesn't make a difference. Small difference. Yeah. Of course, you, it, it's great. You do everything you can. I was just looking through my clothes this morning to see if I had something that's only cotton, for example. Like, what do I have which is without any plastics? Mm -hmm. It's like hardly anything. Yeah, and even if it's all cotton, the thread might be polyester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, I think for the anxiety, if you yeah, you should just get involved and then uh, try to, like, Take, put it away sometimes yeah but use like the anxiety to fuel something productive productive yeah. yeah yeah and you because I mean we're not gonna talk too much about the kids but because you are involved in another generation um, who, of people who are going to be going to school eventually um, you know you have a voice at that school and all the communities that your children become involved with as mm. well to prioritize what's important and Make sure yeah. that you know the the future has something for them. Mm. And but I think uh, yeah, community or any sort of involvement uh, or organizing or politics can be uh, powerful in a sense that it can also, um, if you're in the right setting, uh, you can uh, make changes and you can feel stronger and less scared. Because mm -hmm. if you're together, it uh, can really help. I've just noticed myself. I've been when I've been very angry or uh, or scared. The more I've been involved with different. Well, I haven't been like in, within the environment case, but more like in relationship to this Me Too movement, for example. It's been very powerful in in seeing that it's possible to affect some structural changes, and it's possible to to be together, and it makes it, um, yeah, a little less uh, anxiety-filled. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with the climate, Jesus. And one of the things is there's a lot of talk, and then sometimes you don't see a lot of um, follow-through. Like, I remember, I'll never forget, I was at this artist talk, or it was like some kind of discussion at an art museum, and um, they were talking about the environmental crisis and one of the audience members stood up and she's like you're talking about all this stuff but I come to these talks and every time there's plastic water bottles on the table and she's like how hard is it for people to just have you know like the museum had a cafe mm. like to just have a glass container and have glasses you know like we need to live by the things that we're talking about mm. and that was one example it just stood out as really silly once she pointed it out mm. Like the little changes that, you know, I know you're saying like policy on a bigger level is more important than the individual changes, but, yeah. you know, just that moment where she called out like an institution yeah. saying they stood for something and they yeah, yeah, yeah. they weren't practicing it. Yeah, I'm going like a little bit back and forth with this because, of course, you can, uh, it's great with like all the small changes. At the same time, I don't think the small changes should make your anxiety go away. You know? Like, like oh, they, I'm done. Yeah, I've I'm done. done. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what can be, like, what I think can be a little scary. Mm -hmm. If you just think, oh, I'm doing this, then that's enough. Mm -hmm. And of course, like, it's hard to be one person. We can't do much. But at the same time, it's like a fucking, it's uh, really bad. 
I think anxiety, uh, as long as it doesn't make you pass through, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's not if good, it, but it's you can. It be can be. For, it can yeah. be good. Yeah. Yeah. Because anxiety means you're feeling something. Yeah, and that's that's very very good that you're feeling something. Yeah. And also, if you can use that uncomfort to have a more clear vision of the world and what's going on around you in all different contexts, that's good. But just don't make it. Uh, yeah, doesn't help to hide. I, I do think anxiety is like it, one way to reduce anxiety can be those individual acts that you do. Mm. You can know that on a large scale, you're just one person out of however many billion we are now. Mm. But I think to feel that you are doing something. Yeah. And that you are living by the principles that you believe in. Yeah. And that's also a good way of educating your kids. Yeah. They'll see your life and, yeah. you know, when they ask you questions, you can tell them mm. why you do this or that, why we wear secondhand clothes, why we eat this or that, or mm. ride our bikes. Yeah. Oh, I was kind of nervous with this question. Um, yeah? Yeah, I, but partly because of the kids and, and anxiety. Because mm-hmm. it's really such like a, because with other types of uh, things, you can just really see like, oh, it's, It'll get better one day, but this really doesn't seem... Yeah, when there's so many people fighting against positive change. Yeah. Or that don't even believe that there's a problem. Yeah. You know? Maybe you should make sure, though, um, I don't know if this is too out there, but if you feel anxiety, then it probably also means you feel a lot, a lot, a lot of love for uh, the people around you, the environment, like lots of things. And maybe you can also sort of try to tap into that feeling more. Yeah. So that you can do more and more out of um, this uh, love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the anxiety doesn't like override everything else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, think of the caring for the for things. And it's like it's on so many levels. But I guess it's you just gotta be conscious about how you how you deal with this but also know that it's it can be very productive yeah okay and our last question no no two more so this question is my best friend told me she started dating a recent ex-boyfriend of mine although it took her a month to tell me she could not understand why I'd be upset by it and repeatedly asked me to justify why I would feel so bad slash gross slash disgusted by their affair my question is, in a situation like this, what should I do? I have spoken to her a couple of times, and as it is going nowhere, I started to ignore both hers and my ex's messages and calls altogether. I have written a letter to her, but not yet sent it. And is it irrational that I feel betrayed by two people who are very close to me? Shall I give them my consent or just cut them off, at least until I feel better about it? Is this a big drama, or am I overreacting? Shouldn't ex-boyfriends be in the no-go zone of best friends, as a life principle, why do I feel so gross thinking about it? I think, I mean, in terms of, of grossness, I think maybe because it feels almost like your sister is with your ex. Yeah, it does. I, I recognize that feeling. I think I also would feel gross. Yeah. And I think the fact that your friend waited a month to tell you shows that there was hesitation for a reason. Like, she knew that it wasn't going to be, uh, oh, cool, congratulations, guys. Yeah. 
I don't know. Is it is it off limits, though? I don't know. Well, I know that uh, if it's like a straight couple we're talking about, it's uh, quite common to have this sort of unwritten rule. But gay land, it would be different because it's like a smaller pool. But uh, I don't know. I I would feel gross. But uh, but I mean, there's nothing to do about it. Yeah. And I guess it depends also on how much time has passed, how you felt about both of them, and how you think, looking back, about how they reacted with each other. Like, were they attracted to each other the whole time? And, you know, like, it can make you question a lot of the, maybe even advice that your friend gave you about your relationship, if she mm. um, secretly was into your person. But what do you think uh, this person sh- that's writing to us what what should she do now it depends if you feel like this is a friendship worth saving then maybe you just need to verbalize to that friend that you need time to process this and to get over it because it doesn't have to like hang out with them right away no that could be weird it can be i understand your feelings of feeling uh disturbed about this at the same time even if they don't understand that she's upset, if she's upset, they should sort of acknowledge and respect that. Yeah, not just be like, I don't know why you care. You're not with him anymore. It's not that simple. No. Um, the person that I'm with was friends with my previous boyfriend, but they met while I was studying abroad. So they met when I wasn't around. And so in some ways, I guess it was kind of like that. Where, like, Wait. I started dating my ex's friend. Ah. Oh. And how did that play out? At first it was weird only because I felt like my ex was trying to sabotage <laughs> yeah. my relationship, uh, my new budding relationship, because he would just show up or, like, hang out when it was clear we just wanted to be alone. Because um, I think they lived in the same building. I can't remember. He wasn't a best friend. Mm. of my partner so it's you know he was a kind of a new friend and just like a casual friend hanging out okay so none of you felt because obviously this person is out of your life yeah now and I don't think he didn't seem to feel betrayed or grossed out or whatever yeah he just seemed to be sa- trying to sabotage like he would say little comments about me mm. to him I don't know because with with uh you know my situation it was true love so like it would have been silly for uh, either of us not to date each other because they had been friends. Yeah. And maybe in the long run that's the case for your friend as well, and it can be hard to watch that or see that. I don't think exes are totally off limit, but I think there needs to be respect and like acknowledgement of how weird it can be. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So, and yeah, give it time. I think time, yeah. And as you, the further you move away from that relationship, the less it, it will bother you, I'm sure. But it, maybe it's pretty recent, I'm not sure. Yeah. But of course, if it's like both, both the ex and like the best friend, that's uh, rough. Yeah. Make sure you have good other friends. Yeah. Um, but there is a point where you are far enough from a relationship and you aren't, that you don't care what that person does. Mm. Do, do you find that? Like, do you care what your ex-husband does? Maybe at first, even though you didn't want to be with him, you would. Well, but... yeah, I am like a bit of a stalker. <laughs> but that's, yeah. But a stalker, like, does it actually affect you, you know, 
if you're if you're in a different place and he's in a different place I am but it's like also these like really unattractive semi jealousy feelings that I don't mm. know exactly like they're useless I don't see what function they actually play yeah so I'm just really generally trying to override them like just like accept that they're like, there's like some really unattractive traits I have, and if I can't avoid to um, to go to go into them, I will avoid it because it doesn't take you anywhere. Yeah. But at the same time, if it's really uncomfortable and and sad to continue in like these relationships, then it's not a yeah. I just think you have to listen to yourself. Like yeah. What kind of situations you'll be fine with, and not necessarily like expose you. Yeah, give it a break for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think it all depends on the, how deep your friendship was. Do you still want to be friends with this person? If not, then don't feel bad about yeah. not being friends with them. And if she respects you, you can just ask her like not to talk about this guy or something. Yeah. Like, so that the friendship becomes um, still sort of um, independent of this other relationship. Yeah. And if you see them together, I'm sure it'll be incredibly weird the first time. But, you know, I think even that can go away. If you are in a good place and you, you know, when you have a, a relationship that makes you forget about that one, then it might not hurt anymore. Yeah. Good As luck. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> and the last question. Okay. How do you deal with intense desire, meaning desiring others, when you are in a long-distance monogamous relationship? Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. This is a big question. Yeah. And I think we'll probably have different ways of answering. Yeah. It all depends on the relationship you have with your partner. Go on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, like for me, I, I get crushes a lot and I have never felt bad about it. Um, and I tell my partner because I think it's like, you know, say you had like a uh, cartoon dynamite with the rope like leading to the explosive. Oh yeah. Um, it's kind of like cutting it off before it reaches the dynamite. So, but you tell him who it is and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it becomes silly because then when he sees that person, he's like, "Oh, there's your boyfriend," you know, or whatever. <laughs> and it's like a, a joke. Yeah. Um, that we can laugh at together, and it like it kind of diffuses any intensity that could happen. Hmm. Did you have a conversation about about? Uh... About that that's was the way you were gonna work with it. No. No, it just happened naturally. I just am um really honest. Yeah. And sometimes brutally honest. And so I've always I always just say whatever I think or whatever I'm Do you say like, Oh, I'm I'm just so attracted to this person or just like this person is cute or Yeah. No, yeah, I'm really attracted to this person. And then, oh my god. Is that painful for you? Yeah, no, it's just like really inspiring, but I guess I asked my partner, like, should I, do you want to hear? Hmm. And he's like, no. See, that's why I think it depends on the relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, even in the same relationship, like I say that, but he doesn't say those things to me. Oh. But then sometimes I see, I can feel like he has a crush on someone, and then I ask, and then he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes yeah. another joke. Yeah, I have crushes a lot. Well, not and actually maybe once a year I have like a dangerous crush. That that's what my life experience tells me. Yeah, and what does um, dangerous mean? They like you too, or you just think about them too much? Maybe both. 
mm-hmm. or like yeah but but generally I just get like I can get really excited about especially if I'm in, in, if I'm in a good place mm-hmm. I just get like really excited about people yeah and like dream of them you know or yeah whatever and, um, and we're at this point in our lives we're doing really interesting things and meeting all kinds of people who have similar interests yeah, and are really really, really interesting people <laughs> yes I know Lots of smart, creative people. Yeah. I think it's natural. Yeah. No, it's totally natural. Okay, so but how do you deal with it? Well, Well, you talk to You just talk. I just say it. Yeah. What do I do? Well, sometimes, like, sometimes, like, I won't leave the house so much. (laughs) Because I can be so, like, I don't know, like, but sometimes, like, okay, no, I'm just going to not go there. I'm just going to stay home tonight. Yeah. And the question was specifically about long distance, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I do find that when I meet the pers- well, my partner uh, often, it's sort of, um, it's less of a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because it's also this physical thing that uh, after a while I'm like, yeah, I'm you going would... a little crazy. Yeah. But, uh, but I think it's tricky. I mean, uh, but then... I yeah. People have crushes. They're attracted to people, whether they're in a relationship or not. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say anything about if like if your relationship's good or bad. No, I don't think so. I think just um, you know maybe maybe it's not helpful to be brutally honest in every relationship like I am, because um, it can be hurtful to some people mm-hmm. or make them feel. Uh, worried? Yeah, or me, like, if my boyfriend knows I'm going to be really kind of jealous, so he's just... So he's not going to tell you? No. Yeah. hope not. I can be jealous, too. That's maybe why he doesn't say these things. But he also <laughs> doesn't, I don't know, he's just in general uh, more, I don't want to say single-minded. What would the right word be? In which sense? Like, he's not, uh, not that I'm, I'm not looking for anything, but... He doesn't need to feel. He doesn't need to feel that excitement of a crush, and I like. Oh, I like feeling that excitement. Like yeah, yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Well, my boyfriend went to this comics festival this weekend, and he met a lot of these people he's fans of. And then, like, like when I talked to him on the phone, I could tell he was like so excited about these people, and also he was like telling me that this uh, uh, little girl came over to him and wanted to talk to him about comics, and I was like imagining this. Seven-year-old, like, oh, that's cute. The child like, likes <laughs> comics, and then of course she's like an eighteen-year-old. <laughs> and I looked at her picture. I was like, well, she's not a child. <laughs> and, but uh, but I was also kind of attracted to the f- fact that he got so excited. Or this, yeah, it's something about someone loving life and being interested in other people. Yeah, I mean that's healthy. I think so. But then again. Um, in a long-term relationship, if you fuck up, literally, like, you could also think, I don't know, is it the end? <laughs> now I'm just, say- I'm just saying this because cause there is such like a, uh, um, I don't know, like half, half of relationships people cheat or something like that. I don't mm. know how, it's quite a lot. And, and... And people do mistakes. So I'm just trying to sort of create some space for saying it might not be the end. But do you think when people are cheated on that the, the, the pain comes from uh, 
literally being cheated on or from the betrayal and the dishonesty and the secrecy? That really depends as well. And I think that's also a difference between genders. Like males have um, more of an issue with uh, physical um, like unfaithfulness, while women are often more um, uh, hurt by the by the sort of emotional uh, betrayal. Hmm. I think I'd be hurt by both. Yeah, I'd be hurt by both. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, please tell me everything that you did. You know, like, <laughs> which is also not healthy. But I'm just, yeah. I guess I'm just with by saying this. I'm sort of trying to acknowledge that it's not always the end. Um, if something goes wrong. Well, what I'm guessing from the question is maybe the person um, doesn't want it to go that far. No. Just wants to figure out how to deal with it. Like, I think maybe just knowing that you're not the only person that deals with feeling desire for other people than your partner can be yeah. helpful. And that it doesn't mean you don't love your partner or you yeah. aren't attracted to them. There's just um, so many wonderful people in the world. Yes. And, you yes. know, you've, you've happened to have chosen to spend your life with one of them. Yeah. Um, oh, I just have remembered another advice that I got from my, my sex guru. Uh, Dan Savage. Dan Savage. Uh, is that uh, when you get excited about, about other people, it's also like a really nice way to f- use that as a fuel in your relationship. How so? No, like you bring up the, you take the excitement home, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether it's like a, something, uh, ex- like some um, uh, specific, something specific, or just like the emotional, the excitement, and mm-hmm. that can be sort of a, um, life-confirming thing yeah. that, you, that makes you a little lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think this is what I think is the most scary of long-term and distance relationship, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, because you don't even have to be long distance to feel no, like you want some no. excitement or to have a crush or whatever. Yeah. And one thing I always think about, you know, when um, I got together with my partner, it was super intense and we really like fell in love quickly and it was amazing. And over time, you can never get back that feeling because um, it's based on getting to know each other and we already mm. know each other. But there's still, I don't know, it surprises me how much you can still be in love and it's just a different, it takes a different form and yeah. it feels different. In some ways it feels better, but in other ways I think having crushes fills in the gaps of what I'm missing from yeah, this new excitement. Yeah, just excitement and kind of like giddiness about seeing someone. Yeah. But yeah, because of the, 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 the knowledge, okay, say you're, in a, say, say you're in a monogamous relationship for the rest of your life, and you're like, when am I going to have this, like, uh, this first kiss or this first, or like just like the uh, electric sensation, like, oh my God, is this person touching me now? Yeah, you know, our like pinkies rubbed each yeah, other. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, you know? Um, yeah, so that's like a little sad to yeah. think of. And, and what happens, I mean, at least what happened for me is you don't know that that uh, last first kiss is the last first kiss. No. You know? I mean, not that I didn't savor it, but you know, you just don't, you don't know. <laughs> no. But in terms of dealing with it... Um, Maybe you can take like a few days, uh, another advice, take it just a few days off to like grief. <laughs> <laughs> grief from what? 
<laughs> grief from like <laughs> the end. The grief from the end. <laughs> if you're in a situation where you feel comfortable, it might be weird though if you have never mentioned having a crush and you've been like say you've been married for five years or something, and then you're like, I have a crush on someone, and you're apart from your partner, they could make them feel really insecure. So yeah. I, probably not the best thing to do. But if you can. I, over time cultivate uh, closeness and honesty that lets the other person know you're always going to tell them the truth mm. then maybe there's not that worry could go away yeah I don't know mm. I know I yeah I'm just thinking of like if my partner knows when I have crushes because it's not like I don't talk about people and I was like oh my god this person is so cute you or, say that like, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I'm not very descriptive in my <laughs> Yeah, you have yeah. to test how much a yeah. person can handle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might not be know, good. Because they know, like, he's like, oh, I don't want to know. Hmm. I mean, I do think it's important to try to be, to see your partner as much as you can. I know that sometimes, you know, you're in a different country or time zone or whatever, but it is important to see each other. Yeah. To connect in, in an everyday kind of way, not just like a, a vacation-y way. Yeah. But I think you can... Wouldn't it work also just to say, like, hey, I'm wondering how you think about crushes? Yeah. Just sort of assuming that That they have some, some, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've I've asked that, like, don't you ever get crushes? No. I'm like, I'm sure you get crushes. Come on. Like, I'm sure you do. And then so over time, eventually, it was like, do you you have a crush on that person? You know, because you see they get, like, a little happy when the person's around. And then it's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And don't you get jealous then? Oh, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. A little bit. But it's kind of becomes a joke, you know, You'd like a teasing thing. Yeah. Like, almost like you would feel stupid to do anything about it. Because it's already this joke that you have. Like, you're already being yeah, teased yeah, for yeah. it. Sounds like a good sort of safety... Um, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. But, yeah, I think it can be... A, sometimes I wish I, I wasn't sort of cursed with these... Um, <laughs> with this desire or crushes because it can be like a little distracting. Yeah, for sure. But, but maybe that's what you're searching for in, without knowing is just a little distraction. Yeah, maybe. And it uh, can make it kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, <clears throat> but you said you should talk, but do you all, would you also talk to your partner about it? When you when you're not in the same place, yeah, because that sounds like more like I would get more feel more uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's yeah. When you're not in the same place, it's harder because they don't know the person. They don't know, you know, they haven't met them or seen yeah. them or seen how you re- interact with them. Yeah, um, that hasn't happened much, but yeah, I say it even then. Hmm. And it's really nice to know that you're a sexual human being. So that's like, and today I'm like, so you can be really thankful that you're, uh, that you have this sort of power inside of you to go <laughs> flip completely. What do you uh, mean by flip? Flip? No, no, like that. I mean, like that. Like it's kind of a that. that that's why it's scary because it can be so strong. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. That's why I think it's scary because it's so strong. Yeah. So you have to sort of make sure it doesn't. You have to yeah. nip it in the bud. Yeah. Whatever the bud is. Yeah. Whatever that stage is. Yeah. Don't feel bad, though. <laughs> hmm. 
it's hard. A lot of these things depend so much on the interaction between mm -hmm. two people and what level of uh, disclosure that you have with yeah. each other. For people who have a like eight to five or a regular job, people will generally spend more time with their colleagues than their partners because you're so much at work. So like, of course you'll probably be attracted to people you work with. Like, it's sort of a, a human animal thing, you know? You mm -hmm. see all these people and, and you, you and your body deal with what's around you. And so it's super normal. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. I hope we've been helpful to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a Norway edition, but that's in the fall. It might look like we'll be getting some advice as well from others to later be confirmed. But you can still send us questions, but we will not be answering them until the fall. Yeah, and maybe the questions should ideally lean more towards being an artist. It can be personal too, but in terms of being an artist, like uh, you had a really great, great question. Oh yeah, I was wondering when it's the best time to get pregnant as an artist. So I'm hoping that um, some uh, really professional curators or like you know people who run institutions can tell me the answer to that. Because mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe please I want to know yeah so um, yeah feel free to keep submitting questions or to have some in mind for the fall when we have our exciting adventure yes